Josh, if we haven't yet connected, uh, feel free to connect. We're teaching uh, straight through the book of Acts. We're on Acts 17 tonight. Acts 17 tonight uh, begins with verse 1, if you couldn't have guessed that. Paul and his companions had passed through Ampiphilos and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica. That one might sound a little more familiar. Where there was a Jewish synagogue, and as was his custom... Paul went into the synagogue. The going joke is that whenever Paul comes to a new town, he looks for the church in the jail because he's going to start at one and end up in the other. That's the going joke. He's going to find the jail and the church, start at one, finish at the other. Here is where he has come from. We had his first missionary journey that uh, started in about chapter 12 or 13 and then worked up until about chapter 14, 15. And then we are pushing from this map into his secondary missionary journey. And you can see Paul is biting off a huge chunk of land. In fact, if you did the math from Antioch, which is the, the farthest upper right red bullet over there, to Troas, which is the same continent, it's about 780 miles. Okay, and so he's going farther than that, and he did that inland. And so here's the aha. Tonight, we're going to work with Paul on almost the farthest right of this journey. We're going to be in Thessalonica and then Berea, and then we're going to be down to Athens tonight. So um, the question for us is, what is the point of this trip, the first one, and then this trip in the heart of Paul? And here's, here is the point, verse 2 and 3. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. This is in the town of Thessalonica, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And this is Paul's direct quote from the mouth of Luke, the writer. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. So here's the thing that you may not know. Remember when I said how far this trip is, this is not like a week-long mission trip. In fact, we know from Paul's letters in First and Second Thessalonians that he actually stayed in this, in this particular city, Thessalonica, for several months. He stayed over there for several months. And here's the aha. We don't have Paul's telling of the story in Acts. We have Luke's telling of Paul's story in Acts. And so the thing that Luke, the writer, is going to concentrate on is three weeks and Paul's mission to the Jewish synagogue. Now, uh, if you remember that what, what is going to happen in that place is he's going to explain and prove that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead, reasoning from the scriptures. We've heard this before. It's the same process that Jesus took in the gospel of Luke. You may remember, post-resurrection, there are two men walking on the road towards a city called Emmaus. And then Jesus came and walked next to these men. And they were downcast, and they were kicking the gravel as they went. And he said, what's the deal, yo? And they were like, Did, are you the only one that hasn't heard what's happened? We thought this Jesus was the one. And so what Jesus did on the rest of that trip into the room where they would stay, and until they broke bread together... 
These men had no clue that it was Jesus walking with them. And the walk to Emmaus became this really familiar storyline. But what happened all throughout there is Jesus explained from the prophets all the way through today that everything was about him, death and rising from the, from the dead. And this is the, the thing that we talked about way back in um, Acts 2, because we said this is what Peter did. He reasoned from the Old Testament uh, about a prophecy that had been happening all the way up until this point, fulfilled in Jesus. Paul has done it in Acts 13, and here we are in Acts 17, and it is still, still going. Now, the negative is that whenever you reason from the scriptures and you begin to open up uh, the historical books that everyone has held, and then you begin to prove it true, you start to raise opposition. And so other Jews are going to be jealous. We've heard this before. And so they're going to round up bad characters. I begin to giggle, right? When I, this verse is really in the Bible, and this is not even the message version. Like, this is legitimately what my NIV says. And so whenever I saw that bad characters are rounded up in the marketplace, they're farming a mob, I was like, man, bad characters to start a riot? Bang! I know what that is. Yeah, that's a pretty sure what happened because that mob then came to, to, to the synagogue and they said, these men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they have caused trouble all over the world and now they've come here to Thessalonica. Trouble all over the world. They're come here and Jason, what a jerk, welcomes them into his house. They're defying Caesar's decrees saying that there is another king, one called Jesus, which is, of course, exactly what Paul, Silas, and Timothy have been doing. What we don't get is this phrase, all over the world, because you remember this image, right? Oops, not that one, this one. This is the entire known world at that time to the people writing. Like, the, there is nowhere else to go except maybe Rome from this place. And so whenever the trouble is being stirred up all over the world, that's legitimately as far, do my, do my directional math on this one. Where, how far, which way is that? East. That's as far east and south as pretty much people know in that space and time. And so here's the aha for you and me, I guess, as I was, as I was reading and researching this. The aha is the known world is all of Rome's reach. And this is a, a, a social revolutionary. And so when you defy Caesar's decrees, even the, uh, the accusation that you might be doing something against Caesar was enough to get you in trouble. High treason. So the danger is real to Paul in this space. Here's the aha for you and I. Paul is going to, in the future tense, like I'm going to jump ahead in the chronologic. On the, in the chronology here, Paul's going to write back to the Thessalonican church. What I need you to catch right here is that whenever these men are accusing Paul, they're saying he is against Caesar. But whenever Paul tells the stories from himself, this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
He's going to say, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Okay, so foreshadowing, he's going to be run out of Thessalonica because whenever he goes to a city, he's either in church or in jail. So we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But he's not blaming Satan. And he's not, I'm sorry, he is blaming Satan. He's not blaming Rome or the Jews for why he was run out of town. Here it is. Verse 10 says that as soon as it was night, back to present tense, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. That's the town moving south about 65 miles. On arriving there, you know where they went. Yeah. Wake up and get yourself to church, that's on the CSF Encounter Spotify list if you need it. Anyway, they went to the Jewish synagogue. They went to church. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The phrase that catches our attention is what? More noble character, right? Are these better people? No. When we read more noble character, it means that they're willing to hear the new ideas, that pressure understanding. But they didn't just take it in blindly. They evaluated what Paul is saying every day. My question is, this is obviously what you guys are called to do on campus, right? You're called to take in new ideas and evaluate them. My, my actual question is, is that true of your home church or the place where you came from? Were you invited to receive new messages with eagerness? And were you called to examine them? This means, yes, that was a part of my upbringing. This means, eh, kind of, but this means, no, that was not. I was not welcome to receive new messages. This is like, eh, kind of, yeah, I was. Like, they, they told me to think about stuff, but this was like, yeah, they kicked me out of the house to go find stuff. Anybody want to vote on that one for me? Have these medals. Three quarters, okay, fair, we'll take it. Good, I got some no's, I got some yeses, a lot of mids and a no. Yeah, so my mom uh, was a Navy brat, which basically meant every two years she lived in a new city. Of those every two years, every other six months, my grandfather was on an aircraft carrier. And so my mom's vision of what normal was as a kid growing up in a Navy household where your dad's not home half the year every year, whenever all of a sudden she had three kids in southern Indiana cornfields, she looked at my dad and was like, heck, no, she didn't actually say heck. She said, my kids will not be raised in a cornfield with blinders on. And so they were both school teachers. And so every summer was a free two to three months where my family was on the road going to new cities, camping, like exploring the entire United States as a boy growing up. Because I was taught to meet new people and to roll out and to test new ideas. Here's the aha for you and I. Paul's preaching, his method was to quote the Old Testament scripture, that, that, that pressure understanding, and then show how it applied to Jesus. But just like all things coming in the wings, like winter, but not Theon, is verse 13. 
Oh, there's Theon. Here he is. Verse 13 says this. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too. In the wings, as soon as 65 miles away, the word of God was being preached, here come the Thessalonican Jews, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as as possible. That's ASAP Rocky, where he came from. And this now sets Paul alone in Athens. Paul is alone in Athens. This is ancient Greece, and Paul has known of Athens ever since his boyhood. In fact, everybody knows about Athens in this part of the world. Athens is the capital, the intellectual place, um, the intellectual, ideological, the place where you went to to basically prove you were any type of scholar. And Paul's got a full deck of cards. Like he's rolling in with PhD, like our modern equivalent of PhDs from the University of Tarshish, where he went for upwards of 10 years to go study uh, philosophy. And you might have forgotten that Paul had pretty much the entire Old Testament Bible memorized. The entire Old Testament memorized plus a secondary PhD from the University of Tarshish. And so he is walking around Athens alone, and the question was, what's his reaction? And so it's your chance to talk, and I'll get a refill of water. What are the right reactions of a maturing Christian in a city-dominated, little typo, don't worry about that, dominated by non-Christian worldviews? Once again, this feels a lot like where we are today. I like that. You can't dominate an already dominated space. It's good, because it won't be received or come off well. I appreciate that. Yeah, Brie. Yeah, I like that. The, the, the mindset of, I can't change you, but I can be maturing here. I like that. Like, mm, find the good wherever you see it. I like that. Embrace what's going well. CJ. Mm, I love that. I love that. Be excited about what you have. And that in turn allows you to be excited with what they have as well. Right? I love that. That's an identity ultimately, right? Hmm. That's sweet. I appreciate it. Beginning, Chris. Hmm. Yeah, I want to play on that one. I've had a couple of really good uh, discipleship conversations this past week. Thanks so much. And um, one of the things that I heard us saying as we began to process kind of this idea was, was what if the best possible outcome was they felt loved by me? Not a project, like any person that I run into. What if whoever I talk to isn't something for me to win or even feels an expectation from me? What if I'm just legit? wholehearted face forward towards someone and said, what you got, <laughs> right? So here's the aha. Paul didn't do any of that. Sorry about you. Paul's waiting in Athens. Dude is stressed. So maybe Megan was closest out of everybody. But he's stressed about something pretty unique. As he rocks around and sees all the icons, he is straight stressed. 
In fact, whenever you read this scripture for yourself, and you can see I'm jumping pretty quickly through 17 here, you're going to see that Luke uses the word he observed and considered three different times in the span of a really short few verses. Like, he's not just like seeing that it's full of idols, but he's observing. And what he's doing is he's letting his mind consider. Now, here's the thing. The thing is this, that whenever he sees the Parthenon, which is built on top of the Acropolis, this is the temple for Athena. In it is a 40-foot tall statue made of gold and ivory of Athena. And elsewhere, you're going to get Apollo, Jupiter, Venus, Neptune, Diana. The entire Greek pantheon is in this city, and they're all beautiful. And what I need you to hear is this that Paul didn't roll through like a tourist. And maybe that's the aha for us as we roll through campus. We don't go just to, obs- just to see the sights. Like when Brother Jed's rolling, let's go sit with Brother Jed and really observe and consider his message and the response of the people around. Maybe when you're in your particular classes where Christianity is getting the dull noise, or the non-Christian worldview is just being elevated, maybe what you do there is you don't put on your safety belt and strap in. Maybe you feel a sense of distress and you really lock in and observe and consider not only the person who's bringing apart it, but the response of the room. Maybe we go not as tourists through our world, but we go with a different set of eyes. In fact, the reason I'm making a big deal about this distressed understanding is that there is no word for distress that Luke uses in the New Testament, and scholars have not found a Greek word. This word right here, however you say that, I put your pronunciation on, you can all say it with me. Three, two, one. Yeah, I think you said that right. It means wholly given over under the complete power of idolatry. This is what's ticking Paul off. In fact, he's observing and considering it so long that his distress becomes holy anger and he becomes zealous for God because of two reasons. Reason number one, he sees lost people giving worship. He sees people using all their skill for the second thing. Lost people using all their skill for the wrong thing, which is they're worshiping an idol, something made by human hands. And over time, you know what Paul is going to do. No. Wake up and get yourself to church. at church you saw that it's good stuff i think it's on the csf encounter spotify <laughs> yeah he immediately he rolls to the synagogue wait a minute that's not the athens story that we always hear mars hill way to go paul where does he go first he goes to church. He goes to the low-hanging fruit. Guys, I never knew that. Read the Bible once or twice. Preached on the Mars Hill sermon once or twice. Had no clue that the first thing he does after rolling through Athens 
is he looks around and he gets internally angry at worship being given to the wrong place and he goes to church. Yeah, that's a song. It's good stuff, right? You probably didn't know that either. Here's the next thing he does. After church, he goes as well to the marketplace. And day by day, with those who happen to be there, there's a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers that begin to debate with him. <laughs> they call Paul a babbler. Now, I've never been called that. That's not true. Uh, and he seems to be advocating foreign gods. He seems to be advocating foreign gods, and Paul is preaching the good news and the resurrection of Jesus. See, the Epicureans, I did some research on them. They believe a couple big things. One, that gods are real, but they kick the ball down the hill and then they step back. They're not involved with the world. Second thing they believe is that humans then, since God has stepped back, that, God, that humanity should pursue pleasure and there is no afterlife or judgment for whatever you do. Epicurean philosophy doesn't sound too shabby. Eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow. You knew that one. Stoics were the second one. These were the pantheists that God was the soul of the universe. And the way that you gained virtue was being indifferent to the hardships of the world. Stoics say you be indifferent because the world is hard enough. Epicureans say eat, drink, and be merry. And here is the aha. Those Epicureans and Stoics took Paul and they brought him to the meeting of the Areop Areopagus. I think I said that right. There they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas, Mr. Babbler, and we would like to know what they mean. The Areopagus sermon is the Mars Hill sermon. It's the most dramatic, most full sermon that we have Paul speaking. Now, he's going to talk a lot longer in the back part of Acts, and we'll get there. But here we have a little moment of jealousy which is this, that I have never been to the Areopagus, but I have a young friend in this picture who got to spend an entire study abroad semester. So if you have questions or want to see more pictures, talk to Steph. Oh, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. So here's what I'd love for you to see. I'd love for you to see this. This is Paul's sermon. Paul's sermon starts in verse 22. It's going to roll for about nine verses. And this is the outward flow of it. This is the outward flow of Paul's sermon. If you don't, haven't understood what a chiasm means, it's a structure, it's a way of telling a story. And the way that you lay it out uh, mirrors each other. And usually at the center of a chiasm is the entire point. Here you go. So I'm going to read it. And you guys follow along and see if you can move through the nine verses that Paul is laying out. Here it is. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything life and breath and everything else. 
from one man he has made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Can you see, even in the storytelling of this, how he's answering the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers point by point? Keep reading. We're moving out of the chiasm. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like silver or gold or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Line by line in this nine sermon, nine line sermon, we see Paul answering, uh, and incredibly, we see Paul finding the good, just like a lot of you said. We see Paul finding the good of the people who are pursuing spirituality, even if they're looking in the wrong place. Let me say it again. Paul finds incredible good in people pursuing spirituality, even if they're coming to the wrong conclusion. Paul finds incredible worth in the people pursuing spirituality, even if they're finding the wrong conclusion. This is incredible. He says, you himself. Then he looks to the natural world. He's going to identify God. And here's the best part, guys. We have to learn to do this as Christians. He is going to root humanity and God in relationship. Paul is going to root God and humanity in relationship, and then he is going to finish with judgment. There is an answer to be had and hope. There is a person in the resurrection of Jesus that will call people everywhere to repent. So I'm reading this, and Paul says, the time of ignorance is over. You must repent this is the same story that we've heard Peter say earlier in Acts. It's the same story that we heard Jesus say whenever he took up the mantle from John the Baptist, which was the same story. The kingdom of heaven is near. It is time to repent. We heard it through the entire prophets, all through the Old Testament. We heard it through the history books, the fathers of the faith. And even the voice of God in the garden said, I am near. Where are you? The voice of God in the garden said, where are you? Because I am near. The center of the chiasm is always the point of the sermon. It's verse 27. It talks about God's initiating action. God has done this. And then it talks about man's response because of that. So people will reach out, seek, reach out, and perhaps find him. Though God himself is not far from any one of us. Guys, let me close with a reminder of what the hope is of the Christian message that you are called to carry wherever you go. 
starting that church and then moving on to campus into your homes and wherever you walk from here. This is the hope and the wonder of the Christian message. You do not need to wish that God was near because he is. You do not need to heal or clean yourself of your wounds, your history, or your sin because Jesus has. You do not need to perform to, to be seen by God. You do, you do not need to know the right words. You do not need to feel the right emotions because entrance to the kingdom is security coming from being a son or a daughter. Belief in Jesus. To satisfy the deepest longings of our human spirit, only the true gospel can do this. Jesus is the son of God. He has come to earth to defeat darkness and to defend you. Jesus is alive, sitting at the side of an all-powerful God who loves you deeply. And their spirit is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. And his spirit can be yours. Guys, this is the true, full gospel, which is what you must have into walk, to walk into a new place. To bring a light, to bring an energy, to bring an excitement, to bring truth to people who desperately need it. And we know they desperately, they need, they desperately need it because everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. And it is our call as Christians to move alongside with the hope of the true gospel. Yeah? That's what Paul's doing here in Athens. That's what your call is. If you follow Jesus, yeah? Let's pray. How about that challenge? Jesus, we give, uh, we give ourselves to that. Um, at whatever point we are, we want to turn over the hope and the safety and the knowledge that we're loved so deeply by you. And God, uh, I pray for our room. It's your spirit that moves and it changes and transforms who we are. God, that we start at church, that we start together as a body, unified that we move from this place into our homes, onto campus, and into your world as people of light. We give you the praise in that. Um, you can stand and sing with us. Um, and if you're wanting to pray with someone or talk with someone, um, you can look in the back in the foyer and there will be someone to talk to you as well. Speak.
Christmas.